Welcome to the Elevate Podcast. I'm your host and coach, Tyler Johnson. Thank you for tuning in. If you are a return listener, I'd be grateful for your rating or review. And if you dig this episode, give us a like or share. And now, whether you've tuned in to elevate your mindset, your game, or just your day, you are in the right place. My guest this episode is a remarkable human being and sportscaster. He's currently the radio voice for the University of Northern Colorado Bears. He spent a decade as the radio play-by-play for the Colorado Rockies and another 18 years as play-by-play announcer for the Denver Nuggets. He played college baseball, has biked across America twice, completed nine triathlons and three marathons. He is also an author. His book, Chosen to Live, describes his experience surviving the crash landing of United Flight 232 in 1989. We also climbed back into the wreckage to rescue an 11-month-old baby. An amazing American himself. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast, Jerry Schimmel. You today, Jerry. Doing great, Tyler. How about you? I am wonderful. Getting ready to start off a new year. Um, I hope our listeners that are catching this in the new year um, catch some inspiration because I know uh, being blessed to cross paths with you uh, with Northern Colorado football, uh, it's, it's been great to hear some of your story, learn more about you. I'm excited to have you on the podcast. <coughs> Here, I've had a couple media people on here, so it always makes me a little more anxious when you have these broadcasting media professionals on your, your, your what I call my amateur podcast here, trying to share some good messages. But um, zero you, pressure, by the way. Zero pressure. All right. <laughs> Appreciate that, Jay. Um, well, your show that I get to tune into once in a while, I want to kick off with that is called Amazing Americans. Um, I know it's syndicated, I believe, across the country in hundreds of stations. You can find a podcast. I'll have that linked up here. Um, but what inspired you to start that Amazing Americans podcast? Because getting to know you, I think you're an Amazing American. Uh, well, I appreciate that. First of all, you must be desperate for a guest to have me on. But I appreciate it anyway, Tyler. No, you know, um, I, it goes back a long time. Uh, being around professional sports and amateur sports for so long, I saw all these great stories. Everybody hears about the negative stuff. We hear about the strike and the lockout and the contract negotiation and, and, and all that kind of stuff and, and everybody getting fired and everybody wants people to get fired. And I just saw so many, Tyler, great stories out there that nobody ever heard about. Yeah. And maybe they heard about, but they didn't really know the inside with. And so I just decided that, hey, there's so many incredible stories out there. Some you have heard of, some you haven't, that I wanted people to, to hear that story. And maybe in the process... Uh, be a motivation, get somebody off the couch or to, to, to pull that trigger on something they've always wanted to do. Um, so that was the, the, really the motivation behind it was so many great stories out there that people don't know about that should hear about that yeah. might change a life or two. You know, there's some, some fantastic ones on there. No shortage of motivation. Um, you also, part of your amazing American story that, that I, I joked about previously there was linked up the ESPN story to this podcast for you guys to check a little bit more about it, but amazing story of survival. Uh, not too many people you come across in your life that survive a major plane crash like you did, uh, United Flight 232. Could you briefly tell our listeners a- about that? And, and uh, I know you've talked about three things that kind of really impacted your life about uh, what that experience did to you. 
Yeah, it was um, a long time ago, Tyler. It's 1989, so a lot of people weren't even around back then. But, uh, yeah, it was a flight from Denver to Chicago. Uh, we got about halfway to Chicago. It's about a two-hour flight. Uh, blew an engine and um, tried to merge landing in Sioux City, Iowa. And when the engine exploded, the number two engine, it crippled the aircraft so badly that they had really zero chance of landing safely. Couldn't slow the plane down. They couldn't go straight. They couldn't take a left turn. Um, just had, had very little control of the plane. And so the biggest thing was uh, they couldn't slow the plane down. So a normal DC-10 landing is about 125 miles an hour when you hit the ground. We hit it 255. They just could not slow the plane down to have any kind of control of it. So we hit down and, and uh, flipped over and broke into literally thousands of pieces. And somebody wants to check out the video, and I'm sure you're going to link it, but it's very easy to find on the Internet. And um, it flipped over and amazingly, uh, it finally came to a halt in a cornfield next to the airport in Sioux City. And amazingly, almost two thirds of us survived that crash. And Tyler, when you see the video, and I know you've seen it, uh, and, and I've yeah. seen it hundreds of times, you, you wonder how anybody can come out of that thing alive. It looks like a, a videotape of destruction. Ooh. There's no yeah. way anybody can survive that. And almost two thirds of us did. So there were 296 aboard, 112 died. And so that left 184 of us that were survivors. And like you said, there, you, you don't come across too many plane crash survivors. So I feel like obviously extremely fortunate to have survived that thing. Mm. I know in hearing you speak about it before, I think one of the things, knowing a little bit of your story, I think when I heard you tell the story was how quickly you got back on a plane. Yeah, it's going to, yeah, I got back on a plane the next afternoon and that's going to sound really courageous. You know, really, it wasn't Tyler, <laughs> is that about a desperation more than anything? But, you know, I, I, I got out of the hospital, everybody went to the hospital, like I got out, I got, I got checked out, I thought it was okay. Yeah, it hurt my back really badly. It took in a lot of smoke, which they didn't realize. But when I got to the hospital, um, I found out that United was going to bring a plane back in to Sioux City to take anybody back to Denver that wanted to go. And there weren't too many of us that were in a position not hurt that could go back in that plane. But mm -hmm. they contacted me and I said, yeah, I, I, I want to go. I, I, I need to get out of here and go back and see my wife. And, and I just I really wanted to. Uh, I was looking for my my uh, boss who was traveling with me, we ended up perishing in the crash, Tyler, looking for him, could not find him, went from hospital to hospital, went to the morgue at the airport trying to find him, which is a, a wonderful experience going through a morgue. That's a lot of fun. Um, and I finally, after 24 hours, was ready to go back home. And I got yeah. back, I, I walked on that plane. And like I told this story, I walked on that plane, I found a seat, and the next thing I know, we're landing in Denver. I slept through the whole thing. I hadn't slept all night. I'd, I'd been up for 48 hours straight, and I was just exhausted. And that's probably the best way that could have happened. Uh, like I said in this book that I wrote, I got right back on the horse after getting bucked off, and I fell asleep in the saddle for an hour and a half. <laughs> um, I've heard you talk a little bit more about, you know, you, you go through something like that. We all go through adversity and, and things. And, that kind of level of trauma and, as you put it, survivor's guilt, what were some things that you did to kind of process that over time? Yeah, it was, um, and I, I was told I would go through that stuff, Tyler, and I never believed that, that I would. I had a trauma counselor say that you're going to, hey, get ready because you're going to go through this post-trauma stress disorder and all these different symptoms, and I didn't see that coming. I, th I th thought, I'm at 
tough Midwestern born and raised guy. Every time you get back down, what do you do? You pick yourself back up, right? You don't, you don't need a lot of help. You certainly don't get depressed. And so, you know, and it comes my way. I'll just, I'll conquer it like I've always done. And it didn't work that way. I just got knocked down. I could not pick myself back up. Survivor's guilt and um, anger and depression and all, all the things that I was warned would happen to me did just like a trauma counselor said they would happen. And uh, what I did to battle it was I, I turned to Christ and I was not a, uh, Tyler, a religious person at all. I had no spiritual foundation whatsoever before that crash, but that crash kind of forced me to make some decisions in my life. And, and my wife had been a Christian and from the day I met her and I kind of went along with that. And, um, it's, it's amazing what love will do. It'll make a guy go to church with a woman. That's what I did a couple of times. So, um, but I, I thought about her and, and I, I thought she had this incredible strength that I don't have, that I admired, but um, I, I never had. And finally I pulled the trigger and made a decision for Jesus. And that was the, the whole difference in my life. That, that after that, it wasn't smooth sailing, but after that it was, I had the right um, ally, Tyler, to fight those battles. And, and I knew that because I had the right ally, God, that uh, I was going to win every single one of them. I knew that wouldn't be easy, but for the last 32 plus years, that's what I've done. I've, I've used God as a, as my friend and ally to fight these battles and I've won every single one of them. I love it. Um, I know you, you mentioned your, your coworker uh, that didn't make it the crash. And um, at the time you were, I believe the, the deputy commissioner of the ABA, correct? Uh, the CBA, yeah, CBA, sorry, basketball. Yep. Um, um, blanking here. Um, but yes, yeah, so you at the time you were the deputy commissioner of the CBA. Um, you had to think you had you know coached baseball, you were college played college baseball. Um, how did the crash impact you know your career? I know you wanted to get back into radio, and obviously yeah. uh, with the CBA at the time, you know. What made you want to get into the, the radio? Yeah, you know, I got a degree in broadcasting and broadcast journalism, and uh, I wanted to do play-by-play. I wanted to do games, and I couldn't find a job coming out of college. They're so hard to find. It's so hard to get. And so uh, sports administration was kind of my plan B. So I went to law school and went, ended up being in, in sports administration as the deputy commissioner of the CBA. And after the crash, to answer your question, um, I thought long and hard about what I really loved, what I really wanted to do. And that was broadcasting. I just loved to do games. And so I got back into that. I'd done some stuff back in Kansas before I, I joined the CBA, some high school and some college stuff. And I thought, you know what, this is what I really want to do. I got my life given back to me. So let's go do something you, you have a, a desire to do and, and, and you might be good at. So I decided after the crash, I was going to do that. Got back into broadcasting, um, got really lucky, uh, with a, a job with the Minnesota Timberwolves. I, I got to do their games when they first started back in the early nineties. So uh, then I, then I came to Denver after that and uh, did the Denver Nuggets. So uh, the crash had everything to do with it. It was, you know what, if you're going to get a second chance at life, then let's go do what you have a passion for. And that for me was broadcasting. Turned into a, an excellent career. I know every local person that's listened to the Rockies for your years adores you uh, you gotta like you mentioned the denver nuggets and another great long time with the colorado rockies what were some of your fondest memories of, of those times you know getting to call professional sports yeah i think you've, you've probably heard this a million times tyler but it always seems like it comes down to people i mean there are moments obviously that were great my second year doing the team uh had a mediocre regular season and then went into the playoffs 
and knocked off the number uh, one seed in the playoffs, the number eight against number one, Nuggets number eight. And that was the Seattle Supersonics. They had the best record in the NBA that year. And we went and beat them and beat them in game five uh, at, on their court. So that was probably the moment that was really fun for me. There was another one later on. We had a player named Mahmoud Abdul-Rauf. He was the former Chris Jackson. Tremendous offensive player. And he had 54 points in a game at Utah. And John Stockton could not stop him. I mean, what he did. And finally, late, you can appreciate this. Late in the game, he just shoved him. He was like, man, I cannot. I'm just going to knock you to the floor. All right. That's all I know how to do right now. That was a really fun game to call. Um, I think with the Rockies, you know, they made the made the playoffs two times and I was there back to back years. It was really fun to do that. Um, I got to call a walk off, um, a walk off cycle. Carlos Gonzalez had yeah. a walk off for a home run that completed the cycle, which is one I think only a couple people in history have ever done that. And so I got to call that one. Um, just some great moments like that. But more than anything, it was the relationships. You know, George Carl was a Nuggets coach, and I became good friends. Uh, Bud Black is still a good friend of mine. Several players. Uh, I led a Bible study on the road with the Rockies, and so a lot of those players are still good friends of mine. So great relationships and some really fun times as a broadcaster, too. Now, uh, in asking for some photos, you had sent me one of uh, a guy that I always loved. My dad grew, raised me a Dodgers fan. So, uh. um the Vin Scully photo. Do you have a great <laughs> Vin Scully story? Because <laughs> everyone seems to have a story. Um, you know, the, I don't know if I have a story with Vince. Uh, I think the most impressive thing uh, for me with him was he always knew my name. And I was, I was no, I, especially when I started in the league, I, he had no idea who I was, but he called me Chair. Hey, Chair, come on in here. And he, he always had time for other broadcasters. That's the thing. There was, he had a million people, Tyler, trying to get in that radio booth with him or that broadcast booth just to say hi or to shake his hand. And the, the, he, as producer, was like his bodyguard. Nobody could get in there. But if you're a fellow broadcaster, you are welcome with open arms. And so every time we played, the, the Rockies played Dodger Stadium, uh, he would say, hey, come on, Jer, hey, Jer, come on in. And he's like, how's it going? And he had the same voice off the air that he had on the air. And just, I guess, his warmth and his friendship was was what I remember about Vince. And, boy, if you can ever have him on this podcast, what a great interview he is, too. So, yeah, oh, wow. it was, uh, that, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, that's great to hear. Um, those relationships and, and things, you could observe so much sports. Was there a, a leader, manager, maybe it was another announcer that you found inspiration in or, or just kind of – Caught, caught, you, caught you by surprise with, with their yeah. abilities? Yeah. You know, uh, when I first started doing the Nuggets, Dan Issel, the former uh, ABA and NBA, he's now in the Hall of Fame, um, was the coach. And Dan it just had this, uh, this sort of magic to him. I don't know what it was, but he just had a way, uh, Tyler, that I learned a lot from. Uh, I always had the right moment to put his arm around somebody or to get in somebody's face as a player. I mean, yeah. he just had he just had that a knack for having that. You've seen coaches like that, I'm sure, but just that knack for all right. Now's the time to. And he's a big guy, he's six foot nine and three hundred pounds. He's a gigantic man. He walk up to somebody, just put his arm around him and say something, and it would just make make the world a difference. Another time, he'd get in somebody's face, and it would make the world there. He just always had that knack for that timing, knowing when to do that. Um, <clears throat> and I always admired that. Um, not like I learned how to get in somebody's face because of Dan Hissel, but I always I I've, I, I learned a lot 
from him on how to treat people in the right situation. So that's probably number one. Um, there was a, a manager for the Rockies named Jim Tracy. He was uh, managing when I first did the, did the team. And I just loved his passion, Tyler, for the game of baseball. I've never seen anybody have loved the game as much as he did. And he could talk for hours about the games and tell stories. And, and a lot of times he would, he would talk way too long because he had to do it. He had to manage the game. He, he lost track of time. But that was a guy that I admired because he had such a uh, just a love and a passion for the game. And that, that kind of rubbed off on me as well. <clears throat> Those, those people can be contagious, no doubt. Um, uh -huh. Another th amazing thing that uh, I know you've done in your life, don't know too many people that have done it. Um, you did it in a week. You biked across the country. I know, uh, I think you've completed a couple marathons and a couple triathlons as well. Um, can you tell us about biking across the country and the cause yeah. you did it for? Yeah, yeah. Um, a little bit of backstory to that. I actually rode my bike across the country. <clears throat> Back about 15 years ago, I uh, did it twice, back-to-back -back summers. I was doing the Nuggets, and we did it as a fundraiser, but it was not a race. It was Jerry's Pace, and it took us a month, and my family came along, and we raised money for Children's Hospital for a playground in Denver that they were building, which has been complete and looks great. But um, I had this, after riding across America and taking a month to do it, so about 100 miles a day, I thought, what if I raced my bike across the country? <clears throat> because I... I'd done some bike racing and not, not serious and not terribly successful with it, but <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, I thought, well, what about this race called race across America? And it was intrigued me, Tyler. And I thought about doing that race for literally 10 years before I pulled the trigger on. I'm serious. I thought about it all the time for 10 years. I thought it's too hard. I can't do it. I'm not going to get enough sleep. I, I, did, I had every excuse there was. I woke up one day about five or six years ago and thought, it's going to be easy because it's driving me crazy. It's going to be easier just to do this race than not do it because it's driving me nuts. All right, <laughs> just pull the trigger on it. So uh, I decided to do it as a relay. And so I found a, a buddy of mine that's a really good cyclist. So we entered the 2015 Race Across America, which is that. It's a race across the country. Solo racers have to finish in 12 days. Uh, or less. So that's 250 miles a day. And we did it as a relay team. And you just you just go, you, you ride 24 seven, you alternate every hour or whatever your game plan might be. And we ended up winning the two person division in 2015, two rookies, I don't think it ever, had ever done that. We finished in seven days. So we did about 420 miles a day between the two of us. Um, and, and Tyler, the weather that year was just absolutely incredible. It was the high temp um, for forever in the desert, the Mojave Desert in California in day one. It was 100 and I think it was 118 degrees. And we rode through that. And then the last three days after we crossed the Mississippi River, it, it started raining and it never stopped. And I am not serious. I'm not kidding you. I'm serious. It never stopped raining. For we just followed a thunderstorm across the country at, at 18, 17, 18 miles an hour. And it never stopped raining for three days. So in the middle of the night, you're, you know, riding through the Appalachian Mountains and it's pouring down rain and it's dark. Uh, not, not the safest thing to do, but we got it and we ended up winning the two person. So yeah, that, that was the race across America in 2015. So <laughs> I'd imagine in a long bike ride and weather like that, uh, doubt creeps in your mind, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
what were some things is, is maybe doubt crept in your mind along some of those rainy or hot rides that may, maybe at the beginning, holy cow, this is the beginning. I, I, what, I, what am I doing? And then, uh, you know, the, the Eastern rainstorms, uh, as doubt crept in, how did you combat that? Yeah, you know, I started thinking about two things. One, the cause. We were raising money for an orphanage in Haiti uh, to help build a building there. And we did that. We, I, I think we gave them a check for $75,000 to help them build it. Not, not the whole thing. But I kept thinking about why we were doing it. And some of it was personal. It was, you know, I thought about this thing for 10 years and I pulled the trigger. Let's go. But I also thought about um, the reason we're doing it, the, the fundraiser. Secondly, we had this team. It was not only just Brad, my partner and I that were riding, but we had our family members. We had a total, I think, nine people that were part of our crew. We had uh, each had a follow vehicle, and then we had an RV that we kind of slept in for a week. And I started thinking about those people. I didn't want to let anybody down. Uh, I mean, they, invest, they were investing two weeks of their life um, to, to help us out. I thought, just, you, you can't let these people down. So that was a real motivation for me. And then it was, you know what, I, I gotta, uh, I gotta carry my load. You know, Brad is, is doing his, I gotta do mine. So there were times when, uh, we kind of fed off each other. It was like, I, I can't pedal another step. I'm sorry. I can't, Brad, you're going to have to pick me up. And Brad did the same thing with me, Jerry. I, I just, I need you to go another couple hours because I've got to get some sleep. And we just, we did that with each other and we kind of played off each other. And I think we're really a good team that way, which is probably why we won because we kind of helped each other out that way. So a lot of different motivations. I think the, the biggest one was, you know what, um, we're all in this together. Let's, let's just keep pedaling. Very cool. Um, Years in pro sports, you spending some time doing some some broadcasting of some college athletics now, um, interacting with student athletes or maybe some amateur podcast podcaster like myself. Um, what would be some media tips that you would give student athletes as they get approached? Uh, maybe even uh, in the social media era that we live in, in the new area of the NIL, where all that stuff kind of collides. What might yeah. be some advice? I think for a young broadcaster, and there's been some of your players at, at Northern Colorado who have um, want to get in broadcasting that I've talked to and given advice to, several of them actually. Um, I think that the biggest one is to be open-minded about what your career looks like. I mean, I wanted to be a play-by-play guy, and I was kind of locked into that. And those are jobs really hard to get. So if that doesn't work, maybe you want to be behind a camera or maybe you want to be um, in front of a camera. Maybe you want to do production rather than being on the air. So be open-minded about it and be honest about your talent. I mean, some guys are really good and some guys really struggle. And I think it's really important for guys that who want to get in the business and start in the business that uh, to be honest with yourself, Hey, am I as good as the next guy or am I better? Or do I need some work to do? Do I have some work to do? So I think it's really important to be honest to, with yourself. That means going back and watching tape and listening to the games and, and critiquing yourself and being your best critic. Um, I think those are really important. I think the, the a really good uh, piece of advice is to try to meet as many people as you can establish as many relationships as you can. Hey, if you have a chance to talk to Jerry Schimmel, do it. If you have a chance to talk to Vince Scully, obviously you do that, but try to make as many contacts as you can, because you never know when you're going to need somebody to help you out to get that next job. So um, be open-minded, be your best critic and try to make as many relationships as you can in the business. Great advice. (laughs) Great advice. Uh, Last question, one we love to ask our guests. Gone through an amazing life across the country on a bike, seeing some of the best athletes in in professional sports. 
How do you define success, Jerry? Hmm. For me, I define it this way, and I, and I talk about this a lot in a lot of presentations uh, that I make, Tyler. I think success is being the, the best you can in every aspect of your life. That is, success is being the best broadcast. Just, just giving everything you have. Um, uh, being the best father you can possibly be. Uh, that, to me, is success. Uh, being the best husband you can be. Um, all the aspects of your life that you're involved in, whether it's work or home, business, broadcasting, whatever it might be, just be the best you can be. And, and that means rolling up your sleeves and getting the job done. So to me, it's being the best you can be in every aspect of your life. To me, that's success. If you're at that level where you can look in the mirror and say, you know what, I, I did my best today in this game, or I, I, I gave my company or my boss all I could do, all I could give for eight hours today, to me, that's success. I'm grateful, oh yeah, able, oh yeah, I'm stable, oh yeah, no label, oh yeah, you know me, I have only a path, I'm lonely, but damn, I'm going to win, yeah. Thank you for listening. If something caught your ear as useful or unique this episode, we would love your help spreading the Elevate message. You can find me on Instagram at Elevate Educate Rejuvenate. That's with the numeral instead of the A-T-E. Thank you again, and if I can help you with anything, please reach out. And don't forget, go elevate others.